4 o'clock. Can everyone hear me way in the back? All right, great. I am so happy you're here. This is a very, very exciting. Anyone that knows me knows I get real excited about Marty Mann. So, uh, so uh, this is from, they actually, you can buy this t-shirt on the World Wide Web. Marty Mann is my homegirl. And um, I want to start out, this uh, book, Mrs. Marty Mann, most of the information I'm going to be giving you today is from this book, Mrs. Marty Mann. And there's so much great information just in this title. First note, Mrs. Okay, and I'm going to be talking about that later. She's always known as Mrs. Marty Mann. And even, and even um, her last name, which is interesting. And then it says, the First Lady of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's something else I'll be discussing. Is she really the First Lady of Alcoholics Anonymous? And um, we're, I'm just so grateful to um, Sally Brown and David Brown. They were a married couple, and they wrote this book. And it's still available. You can buy it or get it from your library. And... Um, it is absolutely fantastic. Now, I had the opportunity to go and meet Sally Brown. She, uh, I spoke at the Sober and Free conference last year. Maybe it's this year. Fantastic. Absolutely support San Jose Sober and Free. All right? And uh, at Dixie here is the chair of this year's Sober and Free. It is a great conference. We, I had so much fun. And I did, I did this presentation there. And... Um, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, I actually know Sally Brown. I'm like, what? So, and so I was thrilled. She goes, I bet Sally would really love to know that you're out there spreading the word and talking about her book. And, you know, I'm sure she would love to hear this. And so I, uh, Sally lives in a nursing home, and she's around 92 years old. And I, we had such a great Can you see how happy I am? I'm like, I'm with Sally Brown. And uh, so really sweet. So what I did was I got five uh, thank you cards. And I thought she would love it so much if we, if I could bring back, uh, can you just pass these out at different areas? Um, so pens and, um, and cards are going to be coming your way. And, um, and then once you sign it, please pass it on. And then I'll bring them down to her. Um, and I, I just know she's really going to get a kick out of that. And uh, it's neat. She's been sober for over 40 years herself. Her husband was in Al-Anon. And uh, all four of their children are in AA. So it's quite a family. And it's from what... Yeah, and from what I could un- gather, it sounds like her and her husband, this was sort of just their project in retirement. They said, well, let's find out about the first woman in AA. And they would travel, they were three months at a time, they would go, drive all over the East Coast, interview people. Um, all of Marty Mann's records are in Syracuse University Library. They went up there, went through all of her letters, all of her photos. And I mean, if it weren't for this couple, uh, um, Sally and her husband, no one would ever know that Marty Mann was gay, for starters. And I mean, so I mean, this is huge. What they did is just fantastic. So, um, so th- and th- another amazing book is The History of Gay People and Alcoholics Anonymous from the Beginning. And Audrey, are you here? Where are you, Audrey? 
She'll, she gave the presentation earlier. I'm thinking she's going to be coming back pretty soon. And I, I really want people to be able to acknowledge her as well. But um, she's fantastic. And her book is still available also as an e-book. It's hard to get a hard copy, but um, you can get it as an e-book. It's fantastic. She went and interviewed um, uh, LGBT people who were here, here early on and really did a fantastic job. So um, Marty Mann, her story is in the big book, and it's called Women Suffer Too. And she was published in uh, the second, third, and fourth editions. And, uh, and the little subheading of her book is, Despite great opportunities, alcohol nearly ended her life. Early member, she spread the word among women in our pioneering period. So it's also important to notice that the first lady of AA's story was in the second, third, and fourth edition. <laughs> and then um, this book, uh, The Primer on Alcoholism, um, was published in 1950, and it is still available. And not to brag, but here's her autographed copy. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, I love that. I love that uh, that she did this. And uh, you'll learn more about this because she was actually touring, for lack of a better word, for the National Council on Alcoholism that she started. So she wasn't like running around AA signing her book, you know. <laughs> she did it in the context of the National Council on Alcoholism. And so her book, uh, How People Drink, How to Recognize Alcoholics, and What to Do About Them. <laughs> so... <laughs> so. And this is still available. It's actually still in print. So that's pretty neat. And uh, this is another one of her books that came out in 1970. Marty Mann answers your questions about drinking and alcoholism. <laughs> and here's, here she is. Um, this is a, a speaker tape, a CD. And um, again, notice it says the first woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, and she was speaking in 1965. If you just go to Google and you type in Marty Mann, you can hear many of her talks on the Internet. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. And, um, and I, some of you um, might know Jin, who passed a few years ago from the Pacifica Fellowship. She actually got to see Marty Mann speak in San Francisco. So, uh, that's pretty... And then, um, again, uh, another CD. This is the San Francisco Talk, 1968. And it says, uh, the first woman to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous tells her story in a 1968 talk. So, again, more the first woman. And, um, and so now uh, the Mrs. Marty Mann. She was born in Chicago in uh, 1904 and passed in Connecticut in 1980. That's not so long ago, really. And she lived to the age of 76. I love her look. <laughs> Don't mess with Marty Mann. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying to tell you people, okay? And uh, she grew up in a very wealthy family, and they lost their fortune during the Great Depression. Um, this is her father on the left and her mother on the right. And uh, you can see this. Uh, and these were all... Photos. Everything here, pretty much, it comes from the book written by Sally, Sally Brown and her husband. And uh, Marty was the oldest child, and this photo was taken in 1918. Uh, Marty's age 13. She's the one standing up above, and her relations. And th these kids are often referred to as the twins. <laughs> 
Here she is in 1919 recovering from tuberculosis, which they call taking the sun cure. So just the fact that she lived back east and got to come out to California for the sun cure also speaks to her wealth and privilege. And it's funny that tuberculosis was something that will come up later as far as her really identifying with uh, other people. I think it, it was, a, you know, nowadays, you know, we all get our little PPD, and it's, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But tuberculosis was a very big deal um, back then. And here she is at eight, age 17. She had her first drink at 20 um, in 1925 Chicago. And then this is interesting. At the time, at age 22, she was married, and at age 23, she was divorced. <laughs> and um, it's funny. Man is her maiden name, meaning her birth name, right? So that's the name of her family. That's the name she grew up with. So she, she grabbed back her maiden name, but she always kept the misses, you know, whereas traditionally, you know, uh, people would often do the opposite. So, yeah, she hung on to that. And we know why. And, uh, and at age 24, she really, uh, that's where her serious drinking began. Now, this is uh, in London, 1930-35. Marty starts socializing with what's called the Bloomsbury Group. And some of you may be familiar with them. They're a very literary group. And um, Virginia Woolf, here I'll just... Um, um, so many. It's hard to read all the print, but um, they were really a high-flying group. And um, this sort of, it's not really cartoon, but illustration shows all of their interactions, all of their relationships, all of their, and I thought, yeah, they probably could have joined us too. Those are the kind of relationships we all have. But, um, <laughs> a very highbrow situation, though. And then Marty starts socializing with Virginia Woolf. So, uh, you know, this is who, Mar uh, who Marty hung with. Uh. She was friends with author Vita Sackville-West, a very well-known lesbian. And this was another good friend, Marion Jo Carstairs, who inherited a standard oil fortune. This is Marion in these two photos, three photos. And, she, and a book was written about Marion called The Queen of Whale K. I think more the King of Whale K. <laughs> but the eccentric story of Joe Carstairs, fastest woman on the water. And also, um, uh, Joe, as they clearly call, would visit Marty at her National Council on Alcoholism, and she was likely became an NCA donor. And a lot of Marty's work with the National Council on Alcoholism uh, was not funded by the government. It was funded by donors, so, which is very interesting, you know. And so it's very likely that uh, this wealthy uh, person was one of her benefactors. And Marty also attended the Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas Salon. I mean, legendary, absolutely legendary. Wow. And returns to America in 1936. So really what you want to think about, oh, how the mighty fall, right? I mean, these were the top hit. I mean, Vita Sackville-West, Gertrude Stein, Alice B. Toklas. And now, in 1937, she's a low-bottom drunk. She's admitted to Bellevue Hospital, New York City, as a charity case. Her family's lost all the money. She has no money. She probably has very few friends. 
and, uh, and now she's in New York in Bellevue Hospital. And uh, she stayed for six months there and believing she was mentally ill. And it's interesting in um, the book, and again, I can highly recommend that you read these books, uh, the Mari Men book, because it wasn't, lots of times we think about people being in mental hospitals that they want to leave. You know, they're just standing at the door saying, get me out of here, get me out of here. Not Marty. She said, do not let me out of here. I don't know what my problem is. I cannot control myself. I don't know what's wrong, but I need you to fix me. So she just hunkered down. She said, bad things are happening and I need your help. And so she stayed. She was there six months. Then she got to go to the Blythewood Sanitarium, which was an exclusive private psychiatric inpatient center in Connecticut. And um, she's, again, admitted as a charity patient. But I also think this probably speaks to her privilege as a formerly wealthy person, you know, that, uh, that they, maybe they could identify with her. Maybe they could see that she was someone that had started out, you know, high and had come crashing down. But nevertheless, she was given this opportunity probably an opportunity denied many, I would imagine. So there she is. And this is a picture of the Blythewood Sanitarium in Connecticut. And this is one of my favorites. Here she is at age 34. And it says, after Marty returned from a drinking escapade with two other Blythewood patients. (laughs) And I think this is one of many photos where you can see that Marty's feeling quite confident. Okay. Marty, our friend Marty never lacked for self-esteem, okay? Yeah, no, she, she's like, she's feeling pretty good, and, uh, and she's got two really sweet friends with her. That's amazing. Even as a charity patient, she is quite uh, feeling good. Okay, now this is a 1930 copy of a pre-publication of the big book, and this was sent to Dr. Harry Tebow. And you'll hear about Harry Tebow in the big book and other places. Um, And he gave a copy to Marty. So he had just received it. And then um, this is another fantastic book. It's called The Book That Started It All. It is really wonderful. You can get it, you know, most bookstores. You can order it. And it is the original big book with all the corrections in it. So, like, Bill would write, write, write. And there's some with a lot of really great corrections. Like here, he would write, write, type, 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 right? And then mail it to Akron, Ohio. Can you imagine what if it had gotten lost in the mail? If he mailed it to Akron, Akron would get it. That's where Dr. Bob is. And then his, the, the Ohio group would read it, and they'd be like, no, 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 Bill. That's not what we want. And then they'd send him back corrections, or then they would write their own thing, and then send it back to back and forth between New York, Ohio, New York, Ohio. And lots of times you'll hear about the first 100. They say, the first 100 men and women, that's, what, that's, who, that's who we're talking about, the first 100. And these were low-bottom drunks. Almost all of them had been to state hospitals. You know, th- these weren't like the high and mighty. These were real, real, real alcoholics who turned out the most amazing book of all time, you know. So, um, so, so this is what Marty got to look at, was a, a copy of the uh, pre-publication copy. And the reason it was sent to Dr. Tebow, and so I imagine the ones they sent out, although it was not the big book as we know it, it was, you know, typewritten, uh, that kind of thing, um, 
was because they were wanting to get the sort of buy-in from the medical and religious communities. So, you know, they would send it out saying, you know, how does this read to you? How does this seem to you? And then they would get feedback. But I think the feedback was very positive. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, how lucky that, that, that Marty happened to be at the sanitarium as a charity patient and Harry Tebow happened to be her doctor, and he happened to pass it on. So the other neat thing, too, is that, you know, this Dr. Tebow had probably had the book three days before she read it. You know, he wasn't like a big expert on Alcoholics Anonymous. He was just someone who had received a book, an unsolicited book, I imagine. And um, um, there are so many things when you look at the history of AA of just endless synchronicity over and over, these things happening where you think like, oh, my God, thank God, you know, that this, they connected. And so this is a copy of the Grapevine, our magazine, the AA magazine. And in 1966, Bill wrote, At first, the book made little impression on this pair. Indeed, its heavy larding with the word God so angered Marty that she threw it out her window, where it flounced off the grounds of the Swank Sanitarium where she was and proceeded to tie on a big bender. So, yeah. Marty wasn't having it. She was like, you can take your big book, you can, no, boom, right, out the window. And, um, and it's so special that these grapevines are still available. When you, when you subscribe to the grapevine, you can sign up for their, uh, their archives, and you can literally read every grapevine that's ever been written, um, meaning every month, everything that's ever been written, including Bill. That's how he communicated to all the AA people around the uh, around the country and the world. Bill would write articles all the time, um, communicate. And also, you can write articles for the grapevine. So I would encourage you to do that. <coughs> I've done it myself, and let me tell you, it is very gratifying. So, um, okay. And then, here he is, Dr. Tebow. When Marty finally turned up, shaking badly, and back from her escapade, and asked Dr. Harry what next to do, he simply grinned and said, you better read that book again. <laughs> Back in her quarters, M- M- Marty finally uh, brought herself to leaf through its pages once more. A single phrase caught her eye, and it read, We cannot live with resentment. The moment she admitted this to herself, she was filled with a transforming spiritual experience. Again, that's an article by Bill W. on the 1966 grapevine. Um, it's hard to read this, but it says, Harry Tebow um, also became a friend and supporter of Bill W., providing personal psychiatric care when Wilson developed depression in the 1940s. So here we go. Now Dr. Tebow becomes Bill's doctor, right, and really helps him with his depression. It was largely through Tebow's influence that Bill was invited to speak at a New York State Medical Society meeting and then at a meeting of the American Psychiatric Association and had his talk published in the American Journal of Psychiatry. I mean, talk about carrying the message, right? So uh, it was really a blessing how all that worked out, how Dr. Tebow's relationship with Marty turned around and really helped Bill a lot as well and then helped the fellowship by spreading the word to the medical community. Ah, Lois. Lois, Lois, Lois. Here's Lois on the right. Says, uh, and so this is, um, uh, again, an article by Bill. says, Fort Worth, Marty, attended a meeting. It was at Clinton Street, Brooklyn, where Lois and I lived. Marty's very first meeting was at Bill's house. Okay. 
Returning to Blythewood, she found Granny, who was another alcoholic, intensely curious. Her first words to him were these, Granny, we're not alone anymore. There's also information, too, about how at that meeting, Marty just felt so overwhelmed. She went upstairs to the room where they had, were keeping the coats, and she just stayed in there and wouldn't come out. And she cried and cried. And Lois was the one who went back up to her. She was, of course, the only woman there. And uh, was very reassuring and very welcoming to Marty. And this is Lois standing in front of that Clinton Street address in Brooklyn years later because um, they lost the house due to Bill's drinking. So she's not even standing in front of her own house. She's standing in front of someone else's house now. <laughs> Lois remembers. You know she does remember. <laughs> oh, this is her book. Memoirs of the co-founder of Al-Anon and the wife of the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Marty often spoke of Lois Wilson's kindness. Again, at the, at the first AA meeting, Marty was overwhelmed, like I said earlier. And Lois did as much for me as any alcoholic. We love you, Lois. And here's Bill. The major factor in Marty's acceptance by the men was Bill Wilson's attitude. He and Marty hit it off immediately. They were cut from the same piece of cloth. Both of them visionary, charismatic, open-minded, and entrepreneurial. And that's from the biography. And I think it also helped, honestly, that she was a lesbian. You know, some of the trouble that women had early on in AA is that the men, the men and the wives felt so threatened, being like, oh, no, it's, we, we barely got our guy into this meeting. You know, we barely got him sober, and now there's going to be women there? You know, and then people just felt really like, and even Dr. Bob had concerns saying, you know what, we have our hands full trying to get take care of these men. Um, we're not so sure. But then comes along lesbian Marty, and Allison's like, oh, it's not so bad. You know, <laughs> she had no interest in their husbands, and then she could be a great example that, you know what, we can all coexist and we can all get sober together. Um, let's see if I can read this top part. Um, so it says, early days of AA, we were, we were, oh, this is Barry Leach, Barry L. Barry L's amazing. He wrote the book Living Sober, the yellow book we all see. He was an out gay man. He died of AIDS and um, very amazing. He died in the 1980s. Anyway, and there's some wonderful recordings. Again, just go to the internet and put in uh, Barry L or Barry Leach, L-E-A-C-H, and he's talking, including talking at an international, at one of the gay meetings. Um, and uh, it's just fantastic. Anyway, early days of AA, quote, we were not just closeted. We were in a vault, holding on to each other's hands desperately. We recognized each other, of course. I love that. We recognized each other, of course. And by the way, Bill knew us all, too. It never bothered Bill. That just... Yes. That just gives me chills. I mean, it really gives me chills, you know? I mean, ah, oh, that was a long time ago. And it just shows how elevated Bill's thinking was, you know? Tradition three, right? The only requirement for membership is, is a desire to stop drinking. And here it is in action. No, just beautiful. And this is Lois and Barry right here. So Bill, I mean, I'm sorry, Lois lived like I think 17 years longer than Bill. So Lois went on. 
because she hadn't drunk herself endlessly. And um, so she would go to, like, conferences and things like that. And so here's Barry, and here's Lois. So he would often... Um, and then the very first original big book, they left to Barry. And then Barry later um, got it to the archives. But, I mean, he was right there. He was right up front. Okay, here's the question. Is Marty Mann the first lady of AA? So audio tapes of her speaking at AA meetings. She's entered. Okay, this is cute. She's introduced as the first lady and the queen. You can hear this. They say, and now the queen of AA. You know, and, uh, and and but the funny part is, is you don't hear her denying it. You know, she's not. You know, and uh, and she's just like, thank you, thank you. So. Um, so she was not the first woman to walk into the doors of AA. There are several documented cases of other women arriving at AA first. There was Sylvia K. Harris uh, um, arrived in Akron, AA in 1939. She returned to Chicago and got sober. And uh, her story is the keys to the kingdom in the second edition. Florence R., the first woman in New York, wrote the only story by a woman in the first edition. And it's called A Feminine Victory. And she did sadly relapsed and did commit suicide in 1937. And, um, I mean, you know, got sober in 37, died. Um, let me read this. Thir- 1937, sober in 1938. I'm not quite sure what I meant when I wrote that. but, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, And then um, L- Ethel M., uh, first in Akron, she stayed sober and wrote From Farm to City uh, in the second edition of the book. And uh, her sobriety date was 5841. So again, Marty was reading the first woman's story in the big book, right? So clearly she couldn't have been the first woman because she was, you know, in the sanitarium reading this other woman's story. There's different things where people are like, well, you know, she, you know, who walked in first, who stayed sober the longest. I mean, we never know. But what I like to say is, just like Tammy Wynette is the first lady of country music, I think, I think we could say that Marty M. is the first lady of AA. You know, she's not the first to get sober and she's not the first to walk in, but she's our Tammy Wynette. And uh, this is cute. It says, uh, so in 1944, she founded the National Council on Alcoholism and it said, Marty had an ego and a will the size of Mount Everest, but Marty's ego was without arrogance. She would drop everything to lend a hand to any alcoholic seeking her help. You could just look at her. Don't mess. So, and Marty Mann was quote-unquote married, although of course not legally married, to Priscilla Peck, who is an editor of Vogue magazine. They were together for 40 years, and Priscilla joined AA in 1934. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 43, thank you. And um, here's Priscilla at the Vogue office in 1947. And uh, this is the two of them. They own property. They owned a house together in Fire Island, which, of course, is a well-known gay area, at, at, specifically at Cherry Grove, right? So that's, I just love that picture of the two of them, you know. And uh, I remember last time Kim pointed out about the, the little pleated mini that Priscilla's wearing, Yeah. And they just look, I love them. They look beautiful and happy and relaxed, and I love that they actually owned property together back then. That's really something. We're going to hear more about Priscilla. So, Marty also had a relationship, oops, 
with Carson McCullers, author of The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. McCullers suffered throughout her life from several illnesses and from alcoholism. By the age of 31, McCullers' left side was entirely paralyzed, and she died at the age of 50. Sorry, Priscilla. (laughs) Marty spoke 200 times per year on behalf of the National Council, Council on Alcoholism to provide education, information, and referrals for their respective communities. Again, most of these fundings um, for the affiliates came from local private donations. And this is her at Detroit working that hat. (laughs) She was just really driven, you know. She really wanted to carry the message. And this is kind of amazing. There was a famous TV, a radio show called We the People. And she was actually on it. And you can hear that on the Internet. And um, discussing AA as well as the NCA. And now it's interesting. You see, the 12 traditions weren't adopted until the 1950 International Convention. So it wasn't until then that the anonymity, really, they they were working that out. They were hammering that out. Um, Jackie B., who gave a really great presentation earlier today, she always says a funny thing about this guy named Clarence. who said he was like a one-man tradition um, developer, basically. I mean, he broke so many, he created so many problems that half the traditions were written because of his bad behavior. <laughs> so, um, so Marty wasn't breaking any traditions back then. And, um, and so in the interview, he says, Mrs. Mann, it seems incredible that a young and beautiful woman like you should have once been an alcoholic. And she says, I still am an alcoholic. He said, but I thought you'd been cured. She said, oh, no, you must realize that alcoholism is a disease, a disease which today is as prevalent as tuberculosis or cancer. My illness has been arrested, and I think and hope it will stay that way. But people like me can never safely touch alcohol again, so you can never say we are cured. Then in the uh, June 1964 grapevine, they uh, again talk about the, they discuss the We the People program. And then they've, uh, those old grapevines are real treasures, you know. They're really neat. Uh, In fact, I have one of the old grapevines right here. Um, Oh, is everyone signing those cards, I hope, and passing them around? Okay, good. So um, this is neat, an article about Marty here. One of the headlines is, How to Stay Married, Though Sober. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So here she had a lengthy affair with Jane Bowles. uh, Jane was 35, an American writer and playwright. Her husband, Paul Bowles, author of The Sheltering Sky, was also bisexual. They were very, very famous authors. Uh, Jane was an alcoholic who never became sober. She had a stroke at age 40 and died in 1973 at the age of 56. So here's quite a picture of Marty. Jeez, Marty and Jane at a swimming pool. Come on now, Marty, Marty. Yeah. So, um, and and apparently... um, it's also been documented that Jane would come to some of the AA meetings and conferences with Marty and that people actually did try to help her, you know, did try to carry the message to her and try to help her, but unfortunately she, she was not able to get sober. 
And then in, 19, in the 1950s, a famous journalist and newscaster, Edward R. Murrow, who I'm sure many of you have heard of, um, on his was on, Marty was on his list of the 10 greatest living Americans. So, I mean, she had really, you know, come to the attention of uh, many people. And I think, too, just the fact that she would present herself as, you know, she's this beautiful woman, presumably a married woman, Mrs. Marty Mann, and, um, and saying, you know, she would say, I am an alcoholic. And mostly that was so mind-blowing, number one, that anyone would admit to be an alcoholic, let alone a woman alcoholic, was just more than people could even imagine. So here she is in 1954, age 50. She's at home. She's here to the right. And um, Marty and Priscilla's apartment. And, um, and then this is one of her sisters to the left. That's one of Marty's sisters. And here is LeClaire. You hear a lot about her, but she's wearing quite a fetching suit. Yeah. And she was a, a great resource um, because uh, she was able to tell a lot to, about Marty. And um, she might still be alive, uh, LeClaire, I think. And here's a beautiful portrait. Um, uh, drawing by Rene Boucher. The artist was described by the New York Times as the most fashionable portraitist in the country. So sometimes you think about, like, were they out? Were they not out? Uh, again, I don't think they thought about being in or out like we think about in or out. Um, clearly, a lot of people knew she was a lesbian. I mean, Bill knew, Bob knew, you know, all the gays knew. Whether Her family definitely knew. And um, whether or not, you know... Uh, I don't think there was quite the audience for it like we have today, you know, with, you know, social media coming out, things like that. But the people in her life most definitely knew. So she relapses in 1959-1960. She briefly relapsed after drinking something called bitters, which led to further drinking. A young woman who idolized Marty, this is a great story, uh, visited unannounced. This would be me, right? So me back like in 1959 comes knocking on her door and is like, hi, are you Marty Mann? And she was unannounced and she found Marty intoxicated. The apartment was a mess and the dogs needed attention. This young woman piled them all in her car and brought them home with her. Marty stayed several days refusing to go to AA and eventually return home. Priscilla's whereabouts are unknown. Oh, Priscilla, you know, she is like, I have had it with you, sister, right? I have had it with you. I've had it with your shenanigans, and now you're going to drink. So, of course, we know Priscilla. She was with Priscilla her whole life. They were, they, they were together till the end. But um, at this moment, Priscilla had had it, and I think it set a limit. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and at first, too, I have to say, sometimes I, when I first read this, I kind of had like a little judgy moment of thinking like, she refused to go to a meeting. But part of me thinks, oh, of course she refused. I mean, in her mind, and I think this was the true for Bill and Bob, although there's no, no reason to think Bill and Bob ever did relapse. But still, they were held to such a high standard, you know, and I think they took their the sense of like carrying the message and such a responsibility that if she relapsed, then maybe that would just unnerve so many people, would frighten so many people. And of course, you know, I'm sure she had her ego. She had all, you know, a whole variety of reasons why she wouldn't. But, um, but, uh, but I, I, I don't judge her anymore. (laughs) And, um, 
And then biographers state, what precipitated the drinking is unknown, but the accumulating stressors of her work, her health, her guilt about Jane Bowles in particular, the long illness of her mother and the deaths of her parents would be dangerous signals for the ordinary recovering alcoholic. And the other thing I would say, too, is that I think it's very obvious that Marty is like what the old-timers would say, a real alcoholic. I mean, this, this woman is a true, I mean, she's a real alcoholic, and um, it's kind of amazing that she did so much uh, for so long, you know. And, um, oh, yeah, here we go. There's one more thing. And then by 1964, so this is few years later, Dr. Ruth Fox had written Marty a prescription for antabuse, a recognized deterrent to drinking. So, you know, one thing says that she was a very short relapse, and then this says 64, which is like four or five years later, she's needing a prescription for antabuse. So, we don't know. Was she still having trouble? Was she worried about relapsing? We don't know, but um, my grandfather took antabuse for 25 years. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he'd gone, my grandfather went to state hospital right here in Agnew State Hospital right near San Jose, yeah, and uh, he wouldn't go to meetings, but uh, he took abuse, and it actually kind of worked for him, I mean, that's not the easier, softer way for me, that's for sure, but, um, you know, it's a deterrent where you get horribly sick if you drink, or even if you have cough syrup, or even if you have any little itsy-bitsy bit of alcohol, you get wildly ill, so, um, so in 1968, Marty Mann wrote an article for the Grapevine, and it's called After 29 Years. Now, I don't know, and I'd be curious to know from uh, real historians, uh, if they even counted days like we do. You know, I wonder, when did they actually start handing out chips? I know in the very beginning they'd give like a, like a, uh, a chip, like um, Sister um, Ignatia in Akron, Ohio, she would give sort of like a promise chip to people that were in the hospital there with Dr. Bob, and they would tell you, like, before you drink, you bring the chip back to me. You know, so the idea was you hang on to this chip, and if you decide you don't want your sobriety, you just bring it back to me, and you know Sister Ignatia would be like, ha, she'd get you. And uh, but um, So I'm not sure. So, again, after 29 years, I'm not sure that she's saying here that she has continuous sobriety because maybe they didn't even count sobriety like that. I really don't know. But what we, we know for sure is that she's... From the time when she started to this point, she'd been in for 29 years. So it says, Today, as in April 1939, when I attended my first meeting, the 12 steps are to me the heart of the AA program. By the time I gathered up courage to attend a meeting, I had read the big book three times, and I had studied several, several hundred times the pages containing the 12 steps and the suggestions on how to use them. <laughs> oh, that's not a very good picture. I mean, it's, it's good before the PowerPoint got it. Um, but anyway, so here's Marty Mann and Bill Wilson. And it's the 1960s. And it's actually, I find this so touching because I just think like the two of them, you know, here they are near the end of their lives. And, um, you know, they've been through so much together, you know, from the very, very, very beginning, before the big book was even uh, published, they were together. And I just love that you know, they stuck together and that he accepted her and that, you know, she worked so hard on behalf of the uh, the NCA and, and AA. 
But I just think, wow, what, what that must have been like for them, you know, to just be together. And this was presumably at a conference. Um, and I'm sure some of you know the next conference is in July 4th next year at De- uh, Detroit, Michigan. It's very, it's quite an experience. And, you know, Bill and Marty, all of them, they went to all the international conferences. And so, um, there, and that's where decisions, many decisions get made because it's every five years, you know, so that's how you get all these get people gathered together. It's really, I highly recommend it if you have the opportunity. So it says, um, in 1969, she spoke to the U.S. Senate subcommittee. It said, I discovered that the, the strength of the stigma that lay on alcoholism. I had discovered the conspiracy of silence that existed about it. I had discovered that families were inclined to protect their alcoholic and that they were totally unaware of the fact that this protection was actually preventing their alcoholic from getting help. And here she is, age 66, and Priscilla. Priscilla's on the far right of both photos. And Priscilla was also an artist in addition to working at Vogue. And so it says here, um, viewing an exhibition of uh, Priscilla's work. And again, Priscilla was also sober. So, And this is cute. He's mowing AA into the lawn. <laughs> it says uh, June 1970. Uh, this is a, a book review about Marty's book says, few people have worked as hard and accomplished as much in educating the public as Marty Mann has. A dedicated, valiant woman with a crusading spirit, she has given her life to the cause she espoused when she herself began to recover from the illness and founded the National Council on Alcoholism. And this is when she was being honored, and they mentioned that in the grapevine. And uh, here's two more times where she's being honored. It says, with enormous love and deep respect and infinite gratitude, the council gives Mrs. Marty Mann its gold key award for unparalleled service in the field of alcoholism. And her vision and determination led to recognition of alcoholism as a major disease. And it's neat because... The National Council on Alcoholism could do a lot of things that AA can't do. You know, AA is not politically involved, nor do we ever want it to be politically involved. You know, AA has anonymity. We want anonymity. These are all valuable things. But the National Council on Alcoholism can also sort of take some of the wisdom, things we know, and then also try to spread the word in these other ways, and, in, and also influencing things like the medical societies, legal societies, where now it's very common to think that um, alcoholism is a d- disease, you know? And, um, but that wasn't, that's not what people thought originally. They thought it was a moral issue. They thought it was a weakness. But really, Marty was the person who really spread that disease model. Um, and here she is. Um, she was the keynote speaker at the International Convention in New Orleans, so the 1980 convention, just like the one we're going to have in Detroit. She was ill and used a wheelchair to get to the podium. Now, this is where I usually cry every year, so I'm going to take a deep breath. It says, it says, talk about tears. I can't tell you what it feels like to be a great, 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 great grandmother to so many women, because that's what you are, all of you. You're, here we go. <sighs> You're my children, and I am so proud of you. And she died three weeks later, you know. But what a life she had. 
And she's buried here um, uh, in Chicago. Or uh, says, Priscilla outlived Marty by a few years. Marty's brother watched over her. Oh, come on now. And tried to bury their ashes together, but the cemetery would not allow it because they weren't considered family. But I love that Marty's brother watched over her. You know, I love that. And here she is, New York Times obituary. You know, the New York Times recently started going back in time. This was an original one that was published in 1980. But they just started recently going back and doing doing more women obituaries, like retrospectively, and people of color. Because so often, people of color and women were not even included in the New York Times obituaries. And that's a main resource, of course. But this was, uh, she. they actually did uh, publish her obituary at that time in uh, New York Times. But uh, Priscilla Peck was not mentioned in her obituary. So there's no, reading this, you'd have no reason to think that she was a lesbian, that, you know... You would just know maybe that she had been divorced at one point. But, um, and then I love, New York Times, I think, is kind of famous for getting right to the point. It says, Marty Man dead, helped alcoholics. <laughs> they just get right to the point. But um, founder of Alcoholism Council, 75, wrote books and lectured extensively on drinking. Yeah. So, and there you have it. So, um you know, I really encourage you to, um, you know, check out some of her talks online and um, check out her books. And that biography is excellent. It's real. There's so much more to it. I just pulled out some of the things that captured my imagination, like her relationships. But um, but uh, she was really special, and I think we're really lucky. And not only do I think she's amazing, but it just makes me feel so much better about AA as a whole. You know, that we didn't come creeping in later. We weren't just like, oh, you know, can I, can I join? No, we were there from the beginning, from the beginning, beginning, beginning. You know, we've always been here. We've always helped build it. We've always, Marty and Priscilla founded the Grapevine magazine with Bill. I mean, they're right there, you know. So especially with Priscilla with her Vogue skills, you know. So um, I just, and the other thing, too, is that even though, you know, she was a real human, you know, and maybe made some errors in judgment, that doesn't bother me a bit. And it doesn't bother me a bit that Bill had his troubles, you know. Bill liked the ladies, and... um, (laughs) You know what? None of that bothers me. It does not make me think one inch less of them because, you know, no one's perfect, you know, and the fact that they could, you know, they didn't have to be saints. We are not saints, you know, but they still carried the message. They still did an amazing job, and they worked so hard. And that's one of the many things, too, about the first 100 uh, when I think about them is that that, um, they didn't have to do that. You know, they didn't have to write the book for us. You know, they didn't have to do... They, they, they found the miracle. They could have just gone home and enjoyed the rest of their lives. But they were just so devoted to the idea that the way you keep it is by giving it away. You know, they really believed that in their bones. You know, and so, uh, you know, the fact that they did that for us, I think, is really amazing and something to be highly appreciated. But I think LGBT people have real reason to be proud, you know. So... All right, thank you. Thank you. 
And then whoever has those, thank you.